everyone. Welcome to Brainsplain. I'm your host, Caitlin Merrick, and joining me today is Deepak Varma, who is the Global Head of Neuroscience Insights at Kantar. I'm super excited to have you here today, Mr. Varma. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Caitlin. So first, I would just love to hear a little bit about yourself, you know, maybe um, your work background and how you got into the work that you do today. Yeah, so yeah, it's an interesting story. I had been doing traditional research for 20 years. I was at Nielsen. I was the country head for custom research at Nielsen, North America. Um, I'd been kind of built that uh, business uh, over nine years. And uh, literally, I think I was at that pivotal point about what I needed to do next. And um, I sort of accidentally bumped into NeuroFocus, which was a company which was funded by Nielsen uh, and doing uh, sort of neuroscience work. And uh, once I kind of got introduced uh, and I met the founder of the company and uh, Dr. Pradeep, and he pretty much sold me on the idea. I mean, I was sitting there and I saw somebody who had, uh, you know, sort of wires in their head, uh, well, the EEG sensors, and they were watching an ad and as they looked at an ad, uh, they could actually look at how people were feeling at that specific point in time. And that was so fascinating. And then I think the biggest life-changing moment for me was when I sat in a lecture um, by Dr. Robert Knight, who was the head of uh, cognitive neuroscience at uh, Cal. And I think that was a big life-changing moment for me. Uh, when I sat through the lecture, I remember I came back home and I told my wife, I said, this is it, like this is the thing. Uh, there's so much information about how the brain works and uh, how people behave as a result of how you're sort of hardwired. That, you know, the, I it was just fascinating. I couldn't believe it. and. Uh, I think from there on, you know, this journey started and uh, I was part of this group um, at Nielsen NeuroFocus, which, you know, NeuroFocus was bought by Nielsen and I was part of them for a, about close to six and a half or seven years. And then I moved to Kantar, which uses facial coding as a technology to measure people's emotion. And that was again, a, another fascinating journey for me because it was learning a, you know, a completely new technology uh, equally powerful uh, and very scalable. So uh, I think over the over 12 years, I think I've been part of a group of people who be, who've helped set up and build this new marketing industry. So I'm very fortunate. Um, I love what I do. I literally get up in the morning and I I thank God I'm doing neuromarketing. I mean, I literally, I, I enjoy every moment of what I do. And um, as I told you, I think uh, sometime back that I think for me, the most fascinating aspect is how you can use neuroscience in your own daily life. And, um, and I'll just give you one little tip, which I tell everyone, a lot of people don't know that your nose is the switch to your brain. And people say, well, how's the nose the switch to your brain? So. When you take a deep breath through your nose, when you go like this, and if you do yoga, you'll know that when you take a deep breath through your nose, what happens is there's electrical energy generated in your prefrontal cortex. Your brain is actually getting charged. And when you breathe out through your nose slowly, so when you exhale very slowly through your nose, your cortisol level goes down. You're gonna feel less stress. So when they say that, you know, when you're stressed, take 10 deep breaths, 
there's the neuroscience to it. That is so cool. And yeah, it's funny because this is the kind of stuff that I love about neuro is that like it it is applied in everyday life everywhere in places that we don't even know it. So like you just said, you know, they tell you take deep breaths when you're nervous and it's like, yeah, and there's a neuroscience explanation for it. And I feel like there is so much of that and still so much to be uncovered that it just makes it such an interesting field to study. Yeah. And, and you know, when the, the, the deep breath and meditation becomes even more important in the environment we are in today. In the environment which you are in today, there is so much of stress, there's so much of anxiety, people are fearful. And uh, I basically say do two things. Well, you know, meditate at least five or 10 minutes, because if you meditate, it increases optimism, it reduces anxiety, it reduces stress, it has curative effects. So if you, and if you can't meditate, uh, I also say, listen to music which you like, pick 10 songs, and if you listen to music which you like, People who were who are, uh, who love music, uh, when they they found out that when they listen to music which they like, it actually fires the same brain waves as if you're meditating. Simple tricks. That's super interesting. Something I'm curious about is, you know, I know a lot of people who say like, I try to meditate, but I just can't do it. I lose focus. I get bored. Or so, what would you recommend for somebody who feels like they struggle to meditate? You know, after a while. Initially, you, you, you can let thoughts sort of come into your mind, but after a while, you can start to focus on any one thing, any one thought. It could be your breath. It could be some sound which is outside. Anything which can divert uh, your mind from going in too many directions to more single-minded focus. So yeah, it doesn't mean that you think blank. And there are some times when they say, uh, there are different chants which you can think about and or or just play in your mind and just that one chant so that it doesn't sort of detract you from thinking other things but yes it's it takes time to control your mind and that's what meditation is all about uh, you have to give your mind or some rest sometimes definitely um so kind of going off of that i know a lot of people talk very often about system one versus system two in the brain and, you know, that's more of like the implicit versus the rational part of the brain is how I like to break it down. Um, but I just kind of want to hear your definition of each and then what you think the importance of each of them are. And then kind of building off of that, what we were just talking about, like being able to control different parts of our brain. So, you know, I think if you have sort of read uh, Daniel Kahneman's book, Thinking Fast and Slow, that's where the system one, system two literally comes from. Uh, when you look at the biological aspect, 90% of your brain is doing hemostasis. It's sort of running its basic body function. Two to 3% of the brain is responsible for implicit processing. That is the past part of your brain, which is quick, that's fast. It's responsible for quick thinking. It is on the moment you wake up. The moment you wake up, that is the part of the brain which is gonna help you navigate day-to-day -day things. So, you know, you brush your teeth, you get ready, you sit in a car, you go to office, or you were going to your class in college, you won't even remember how you got there. That's because system one is kind of guiding you all along. When you're watching a TV ad, sitting on your sofa with a remote in your hand and your mouth wide open, it's system one which is processing all that information. System two, which is your rational, logical part of the brain, we we like to think we are all system two oriented when we like to think we are thinking people, but 
So we're not. We're, system two switches on only if I ask you a question, if I ask you to pay attention to something. And unless you're not measuring both the systems, you don't really get a comprehensive view of the brain. So there are, uh, in the area of neuromarketing, uh, what happens is people are basically saying, you should just measure system one and not measure system two. Some people say, oh, you should just measure system two and not measure system one. But it becomes very important to get a very comprehensive view because you need to measure both systems because both systems can fire independently. And they are independent systems. And uh, to give you uh, an example of system one, system two, you know, if you look at a frightening face, you will know in literally less than 40 milliseconds that it's a face of a person who's frightened. Doesn't take you too long to figure that out. Uh, system one processes it. Why? Because there's a part in the brain, it's called the fusiform gyrus. The role of the fusiform gyrus is to process a face. So you're hardwired to process a face. That process very, very quickly. If I ask you to multiply 15 into 19, you will not even have an answer because you know system one tells you don't bother to answer that question because he's not going to ask you the answer to that question right and that's where system two actually kicks in and what we've been doing all this while is most of the time when you'll see system one kind of take often takes over where it may ask you to take decisions very very quickly and uh, the one uh, example which I really love about Daniel Kahneman when he basically, and I think you may have seen Brain Games, if you've seen Brain Games on National Geographic, they ask this question even in Brain Games. And uh, it's basically when they ask, uh, you know, how many people were there in Moses' Ark? And I ask this question to everybody whenever I go around and I ask these people, I always get an answer. There were only, I think, maybe 5% of the cases where people give me the correct answer. 95% of the cases, a lot of people have not been able to give me the correct answer because um, they always give me a number until I ask them, uh, I just asked you a question saying how many animals were there in Moses' Ark. It was not Moses' Ark, it was Noah's Ark. Because system one in a biblical context assumes Noah is a, uh, Moses is fine associated with the Ark. That's what system one actually processes. So system one, <laughs> takes very, very quick decisions for you and often uh, will guide you to take certain actions which uh, may not always be correct. And therefore, it becomes appropriate to measure both system one and system two. The other, I would say, aspects uh, which I love about Daniel Kahneman's book is what he calls as the experiencing brain and the remembering brain. They're two different entities. Experiencing brain is your moment by moment experience as you watch maybe a concert or you go on to a vacation and you are enjoying every moment of experience. Uh, but what happens is it is the remembering brain which decides whether your experience was good or not based on the memory of the experience. So people say, oh, this is confusing, right? You just said experiencing brain, now you're saying that remembering brain decides the, whether the experience was good or not. Yeah, that's what, it, so I think the example which I think Daniel Cameron has uh, given is, uh, you know, there was a guy who was either watching a concert or he was in an opera, I, I forget, but the, everything was good. So 97% of it was good, but in the last scene, something unexpected happened and it is something which he didn't like. And, when he said, what did you like? And he said, oh, it was, it was useless. Why? Because the last scene was so bad. 
And uh, he says that there's something called the peak end rule, which decides because the remembering brain decides what you like or dislike based on the most engaging moment and how it ended. And he also summarizes how people, whether people feel happy or unhappy because the remembering brain decides what was the most recent experience and what was one of the most engaging moments. So you can kind of, you know, change your, the way you feel happy about yourself by remembering some of the most engaging moments and most engaging, or I would say some achievements of your life rather than reflecting on some of the poor moments. So therefore it becomes important to measure both system one and system two um, because they tell you different things. Um, you need to know the remembering brain, what the remembering brain is telling you, which is what the survey component tells you. But you need to also understand which, how the moment ended and which were the most engaging moments, whether it was an ad, whether it was any other experience which you were measuring. That is so interesting. And it really makes me think, again, like we were talking about earlier about using this understanding in daily life and using it to create happiness and optimism because if you are like aware of that and you can sit there and say okay i actually can control what i want to pick and choose to reflect on and remember and you know this last moment that happened yesterday might be most prominent but understanding why that is and having control over that can really do so much for somebody oh totally totally i mean you can choose to remember your achievements and be happy about it you can choose to remember the sad moments in your life and be sad and unhappy about it. I mean, it's your choice. I think that's how you kind of connect it. And likewise, like even when you're applying this in your marketing, you can um, choose like, oh, I'm just going to probably pick uh, to understand just the survey component. And it's not always enough. And therefore, you know, what I, what I always recommend people is, because there are two systems in the brain, figure a way out to measure both the system. And today we have ways to measure both the systems. So something I'm curious about that just kind of reminded me, I, I feel like this is something that's like very, very beneficial is being able to look at both of those systems and then use that to increase effectiveness in marketing and advertising. And just honestly, to overall enhance everything. Like I always think about that. It really can enhance everything as we know it right now, but being something that's so important, I feel like it's still not used very widely. And I kind of want your opinions on like why a lot of companies or uh, agencies still aren't really using this. I, I'd say, I think compared to 10 or 12 years ago, um, the use is a lot more compared to what it is now. Uh, earlier, I would say, uh, it was a challenge just to even educate people in terms of how to use neuromarketing, uh, what it is, why should people use it. There was a lot of skepticism uh, in, because there were people would say, well, what is it going to add to my correlation to sales? How is it going to affect my, uh, what is the validation behind it? And I think the neuromarketing industry in general has come a long way. Uh, where if you look at the, the top, companies, um, I would say most of them are using some neuromarketing techniques. The, the, the industry has grown significantly from when I started in 2009, uh, it was minuscule. People were not even aware about it. Today, uh, 
the the number of tools which are available for you to leverage and use to measure your marketing the industry is become huge so it's a lot more prevalent than what it used to be um the one thing which i guess uh, it, it's it's an understanding of how neuromarketing affects you first. I think that's where the, the, there is lack of knowledge uh, that can neuromarketing first change my life? But once people understand how it can change your life, they will understand how it can affect brands, how it can affect uh, people. And once you understand how it can affect people, then they suddenly there's this realization that if I understand and study neuromarketing more and more, I will be able to use it and leverage it well. So I would say there's that gap and that gap is reducing day by day. Yeah, definitely. And another thing that this is kind of making me think about something that I feel like is also used a lot in you know big companies and stuff for advertising marketing is the concept of priming. And I just kind of want to hear your thoughts on priming. I kind of want to hear too your thoughts on like how ethical is priming because we kind of know what we're doing and I know that can be a common argument. Like in my opinion, I kind of view it like as long as you're not priming for something that's going to hurt the other person, it's really not a big deal, but I could just want to hear your thoughts on that too. I mean, look, you know, priming has been used for such a long time. I mean, it's a non-conscious form of human memory where they've found out that, you know, words, images, colors, they can so many things, music, they can impact behavior. And uh, I think one of the first studies which was done was when they basically got a bunch of people and uh, you know primed them with faces. And they showed them um, happy faces, neutral faces, and angry faces. And people who saw, saw happy faces drank more Kool-Aid. And you just say, by just showing a happy face, people will drink more Kool-Aid, yeah. <laughs> show happy faces in advertising, your ad is going to do better than the one which does not show happy faces in advertising. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it's non-conscious. That's why you, you, you like people who are smiling more at you, right? You're, you intuitively connect with people. So I think the other study which was done was by Professor John Barge in New York State University, where he basically uh, got a bunch of 18 to 22 year old students and he started to work with them uh, and by asking them to work with words related to old age without priming them that it's about old age. So the words were, I think, bald, gray, wrinkle, uh, you know, a bunch of um, other words. And he said, create four word sentences out of this. So after he created, they created four word sentences, he said, walk from one room to another. Now that, that was the real test. We, all the students who had worked with words related to old age walked more slowly compared to students who had not. And you'd kind of wonder by just playing with words, people are walking more slowly because, and that's whole if, phenomena is called the idiomotor effect where an idea is influencing an action. And you'd kind of wonder, what is it so simple and so easy? Well, yeah, I mean, that's what system one actually does to your brain. Um, and, you know, everybody, I would say, um, as long as it is being used to give you or make you take the right decision, 
I think it's 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 fine. It's, it's used for the right, uh, I would say, right intention behind it. And uh, and I'm forgetting which country in Europe where they put the fly in um, in 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 the in the urinal to increase uh, people not spilling all over. And it and it, it they it, it, it's a case study. It's a case study in terms of how you know priming can actually get you to do things which people would kind of not do, and you know these are these are ways in which you can uh, get people to do some of the right things. Um, I think Daniel Kahneman also has given examples of where they had asked people to um, either uh, donate. Um, and there was there was a photograph of eyes uh, staring at the donation box, and when they put the eyes, people were donating more. When they put flowers, people were donating less. And uh, it's 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 strange how some of these things non-consciously impacts behavior. But uh, priming is 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 definitely a very uh, interesting uh, phenomenon. It's it plays a big role. Uh, because context plays a big role in how people actually react. Yeah, definitely. It's, I don't know, it's so interesting to think about. And like you said, this stuff really has been around for so long. And it's so weird as like I learn more about it to look back and be like, wow, yeah, that definitely was placed there for a reason or that was definitely in that ad for this reason. And I don't know, it's just really interesting to think about stuff like that looking back like you were saying before, it, it has affected me. So now it's like, now I understand how it's been used or has just affected me in my daily life. And then, okay, now how can I use that elsewhere? You know, another question I also kind of wanted to touch on moving a little bit away from neuromarketing. So I'm curious to hear what are some new technologies that are exciting to you and what do you expect to see in the future with all of this? You know, I think um, the there are various technologies. There is uh, EEG, which is prevalent a lot. Um, there is uh, EEG along with uh, SST. There is uh, galvanic skin response. Uh, there's facial coding. A um, lot of people uh, are using a variety of, of these. And then there's eye tracking, which is kind of you know, combined with uh, some of these technologies. Um, fMRI is uh, still not used uh, currently because uh, because of the nature it's it's very bulky I've not heard of too many companies uh, coming up with any fMRI uh, sensors or the whole kit to measure uh, what is the blood flow in your brain the most prevalent technologies I would say till covid hit us were uh, EEG, galvanic skin response, I, you know, uh, facial coding and eye tracking. Uh, just during COVID, I would say um, it's become very difficult to do any field work with uh, EEG technology just because people would not want to come in a lab-like environment. And uh, so I, I worked for about six and a half or seven years with EEG technology. And um, it's great. It's uh, it's excellent in terms of giving you those moment by moment responses, uh, measuring both the subconscious and conscious part of the brain. Uh, very temporal uh, gives you uh, you know more or less instant reactions to whatever you're watching, whatever stimulus you're looking at. Um, 
I think the only challenge with EEG uh, in the current environment is it is not contactless. And therefore, that poses, um, you know, it's just very, very strange how circumstances can make a technology more or less sometimes obsolete. Uh, and currently, the only technology which uh, wills is or can be used is something like facial coding, which is absolutely contactless. All you need to do is you need a webcam with your with the camera and you're measuring your facial expressions on a moment by moment basis. And um, even galvanic skin response will require to a certain extent some contact, but it could potentially be administered uh, by sending, you know, something over the, um, over mail or, uh, you know, in a, in a fashion which could potentially measure people's galvanic skin response. But again, I would say uh, it has that component of still uh, a specific kit involved uh, to measure people's skin response. In the current environment, I would say that the technologies which, is, which are going to survive and uh, which are going to give you equally sensitive data uh, is possibly things like facial coding and eye tracking. Uh, I can't think of anything else at this moment to be used during the current environment. Uh, and I think these are the two which still give you, you know, equally sensitive uh, data. Because I think the challenges with EEG was the sample sizes are typically small. Uh, they vary between 24 to 32. And uh, with that, uh, EEG also basically analyzes group data. So it will aggregate the data because what they found is that the data aggregated together is far more stable than kind of analyzing it uh, for each respondent. And I think that is one big difference in facial coding because facial coding picks it up at a respondent level and it marries it with a lot of demography data. So what you can do is, and it works with larger sample sizes. So you typically can get sample sizes from you know, anywhere from 50, 70, 100 um, onwards. And therefore what it allows you, it allows you to dissect the moment by moment trace by demography, by people who like that or who dislike that. And I think that's where the integration of system one and system two literally come together uh, because you can isolate scenes which were enjoyable, scenes which were persuasive, scenes which were credible. And that actually, lends itself to a lot more insights as compared to uh, aggregated data. So I think in terms of where the technology is heading, um, I think facial coding towards the to, to future is also our partner Affectiva. They're also leveraging um, the facial coding technology in uh, looking at automobiles. So uh, they are looking at using the facial coding technology in automobiles so that it measures your facial expression. So if you're kind of, you know, drowsy or sleeping, then you'll get a little uh, jolt to wake you up or the car is, you know, going to do something to hopefully stop you from colliding with another car. So uh, the technology is being used, I would say, in a much more progressive way 
Um, the facial coding technology is also being used, and this is Affectiva, our partner, their technology is being used in, um, in a Google Glass, which is helping kids to, with autism to understand people's emotions. So, and, you know, and I can, um, you know, probably share that video with you at some point on how that technology is being used. But when the technology starts to become medical grade uh, and, you know, technology like facial coding is becoming medical grade and as it becomes medical grade and it's helping to treat people with disorders, it is precise enough and accurate enough to be able to measure people's reaction to their brand's advertising. That's so interesting. And kind of going off of some of the stuff that you were just saying, I think I read somewhere another technology that's kind of being worked on along the lines with facial coding is, um, I might be wrong, but I think it was something about like reading people's smiles and the way that they're smile shifts or maybe a little different when they have I think it was Parkinson's disease oh yeah yeah I think I read that somewhere I can't remember where but I that was kind of something similar to that I thought was really cool yeah that was uh, that was also and this was a story the um, the CEO of uh, Affectiva told me um, that uh, this is this girl in the 12th grade and I'm sorry I'm forgetting her name um, and uh, I think she was doing some research on Parkinson's and the way people smile, because the first thing which sort of gets affected with people who have Parkinson's is their smile. And uh, she wanted to understand and study um, people who smile normally. And she kind of looked at the affective database of people who are smiling normally. And, and what I've heard is that she's created an algorithm to detect the onset of Parkinson's just by the way people smile. And, uh, you know, when you kind of hear about that kind of work, and I think you can sort of Google it and listen to, I've kind of listened to her lectures and um, it's fascinating. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's wonderful that people are actually leveraging this technology to be able to help uh, people in general. And, uh, you know, I think, I think that's a, that's a that's a great use of uh, of this technology. Yeah, no, definitely, that's incredible. And uh, yeah, I just think that I feel like that's why I'm so into it. Is there is so much stuff like that that I feel like is yet to be uncovered that we can really tap into and figure out, you know, how to understand the brain better and uh, facial coding, all these different technologies that can really just enhance everything. It can really help a lot of people, and I think it's really cool. Oh no. Definitely. Definitely. Um, so I could ask you like a million more questions, but I want to be conscious of your time. So thank you so much for joining me today. And for anybody who ends up listening to this, who might want to connect with you further, learn more about the work that you do, where's the best place for them to find you? Uh, well, I am, I am on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, and I think that would be, uh, a f- would be a fairly easy start. But Joan, just send me an invite uh, saying I want to join your network. If you have a specific question, saying I've listened to your podcast and I have a specific question for you, uh, by all means, uh, you can you can send that invite to me. Awesome, sounds great. Well, thank you so much, and have a great rest of your day. Oh, you too. Thank you. I enjoyed the enjoyed talking to you today. 